Welcome back to Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where Laura and I host a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. I'm Ash, and I use they, she pronouns. I'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist who specializes in the Jewish community and weight stigma. I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and fat positivity. And I'm Lore. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. In today's episode, we'll be returning to the conversation about weight stigma in the Jewish community. Last time around, we barely scratched the surface on this subject, so we wanted to give ourselves another opportunity to expand on the conversation we started a few weeks ago. In order to give ourselves the space we need, because we're chatty Cathy's, we won't <laughs> be having a guest today, and Laura and I will just be bouncing off of one another, and I'm sure we won't run out of things to chat about. It's true. And rather than having a designated call-in portion of the pod, if there's a topic we're speaking on that resonates with you, please feel free to call in anytime. And a constant warning, as always, this topic may lend itself to some triggering information, so please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break if you need it. And please remember that this podcast doesn't take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider. Please reach out to professionals if you need support. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like we we need to name something. Um, Ash and I have been very innocuously lying to you all by omission. <laughs> um, we have never actually kvetched together on the couch. We've been kvetching at our desks, and today, for the first time, I am on my couch and Ash is on their couch, and this is a big deal given the name <laughs> of our podcast. So I feel like it's very important just to name that before we move on. Absolutely. I also want to name, I feel like every Thursday I come into this space and, you know, I'm frazzled after a long day, um, Mm. you know, mentally preparing, thinking about, you know, what we're going to talk about. And then, you know, we always hop on a little bit before and we check in with each other and whatnot. And I still feel like that frantic energy, right? And you even saw me just take like a deep breath before we started. Yeah. And as soon as the jingle plays, I like, feel my like self-release I don't know if it's like a you know because it's like the end of the day or something or if it's truly just like it's a great jingle and it like really does evoke that cozy vibe but like I do really feel like it helped set the tone in such a way that I wanted but never expected would actually pan out (laughs) yeah no I that's wild because we've never discussed this before like that feeling of release but I shared that like I um shared with Ash prior to this call that I was, you know, kind of had had a rough day and um, wasn't totally sure of where my headspace was coming into recording this episode. Um, And I, as I have many other times, felt a very similar, like, settling in and settling down within myself as, uh, as the jingle played. I love that that's shared for you. Oh my goodness. (laughs) 
Well, so you mentioned you had a hard day. So, you know, mm. our first question is always, how are you doing today? Yeah, it was just a, I don't know, a long day. And, yeah. you know, definitely have a long way to go in terms of dealing with some of the stuff that came up today. But thankfully, I did have therapy today. And I have a wonderful therapist who I am so, so grateful for. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to uh, recognize that it's okay to not be okay in a given moment, Mm. but also that I don't have to put any timeline on like when the matter at hand will feel okay. Yeah. Um, which I think is sort of the left unsaid piece of that. I see it's mm-hmm. okay not to be okay all over Instagram, all over, you know, mm-hmm. that was a very popular uh, thing on Tumblr back in the day. Um, and, <laughs> Tumblr. <laughs> you know, we say it as people in mental health and we mean it. And sure. I think the second piece of that is like, it's also okay not to be okay tomorrow. So yes. like, I'm, you know, trying to kind of settle into a period of what might not be so stable and make my peace with that. How are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I love that. First of all, not that you're going through something difficult, but the the (laughs) reminder that like, yes, it's okay to not be okay. And also there's no timeline on not being okay. You know, I think as a therapist, I often have people come into my office and they're like, so like, when am I done with this? When, when, is, when am I going to feel better? And, I, and to some degree, there are certain things that we do to help ourselves feel better. But also, we are human and to live is to experience pain, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, that the suffering is, again, unfortunately, just a part of what it means to be human. And we have to, in some ways, accept that if we're to enjoy the parts that are joyful, I think. I agree. But in any case, um, I'm still recovering from COVID, uh, but Mm. for the most part, I'm I'm doing all right. And um, I, my brain feels a little spacey today. So I hope I don't like tangent more than usual, but (laughs) who knows? Who knows with me? But um, yeah, I'm excited to get it back into this conversation. I think it's it's really the conversation that kind of brought this together for me, not only the podcast, mm. but like, just like my professional work, um, you know, the intersection of weight stigma and being in a larger body, and the Jewish community and Jewish values and uh, Jewish culture, uh, and the complicated nature of that overlap. Um, it's very much my own lived experience as well as what I work with clinically every day and really was the catalyst of, of talking about all of these things together and mm. seeing those connections. So I'm, um, you know, excited to get back into it and, and definitely look forward to any, um, what everybody else, you know, thinks and may have to say as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm even just looking at our list of discussion themes and reflecting on, you know, how personal this conversation is for both of us um and that there are i think larger themes on this list that um are more much more general and then there are things that you know are directly linked to our lived experience um so i just want to name that because i always feel like you know 
I think most of, if not all of the topics we have chosen to talk about on this podcast are personal and this one feels more personal than most. So I, um, you know, just want to make sure I'm naming that for us and for our listeners that um, grace to each other, grace to, um, from our listeners is always appreciated. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, from there, the, the first bullet at the top of our list is personal experiences mm-hmm. of weight stigma. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how much we want to go into our personal stories. And now, you know, I say it out loud, I was imagining something would pop right into my brain, but it's not. <laughs> um, you know, but we can certainly start there and, and kind of follow the tendrils from there. We could also kind of pick up on where we ended with Rachel last time, controlling food. Uh, the the dichotomy in Jewish culture of food as love as a cultural mm. value, but the reality of you know sort of assimilated Jewry uh, controlling food in order to adhere to some level of whiteness. Um, you know, I guess we could go in either direction. What calls to you? I, I mean, I think to... the yeah. I mean, I think the white supremacy sort of um, uh, assimilation conversation is so much of the core of what this is when we talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, so maybe that's mm-hmm. a good place to start. Um, yeah, and it may be an entirely new concept for many. So right. um, I think beginning with that um, and allowing it to branch into other topics, which it will, <laughs> because as you said, it's at the core, I think sounds great. So why don't you take us um, from our last episode with Rachel, which happened a while back into uh, where we're starting today. Yeah. So, you know, I think I started to notice, you know, both in my personal experience and my clinical work, you know, culturally, Jews love food, right? Like (laughs) our holidays are in, in, in a really, like not in a, I want to use the word gluttonous, which of course has so many things attached to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I hate all of it. But like in a non-judgmental gluttonous use of the word, <laughs> Jewish maybe maybe indulgent, indulgent. Okay, so I mean similar, yeah, vibe, right? But in other mm-hmm. words, what I'm trying to get at is that I feel that the Jewish relationship with food is very symbolic in nature. You know, we eat you know, honey, apples dipped in honey on Rosh Hashanah for a sweet new year. And, you know, like the Mm -hmm. foods have purpose and meaning. It's not just like, again, I'm going to use the word I hate, gorging. Like it's not just Right. There's so much symbolism with food. Right. Pesach coming up is a huge example of like literally everything that's on the table has a symbolic meaning. Right. Right. It's not eating just to eat. Right. It's eating to connect with the meaning of the foods that we have. And because right. it's such an emotional thing, right? I mean, and, and our, food, our relationship with food is always emotional, right? But I think mm-hmm. because there's such symbolism embedded in the food, which is also connected to our struggles and our stories of survival, right? Like matzah, like the, the whole you mm-hmm. know, symbolism around matzah. I think it creates this really strong attachment with, with food and love mm-hmm. and care. And and life, which of course makes sense because we need food to live. But again, I, I think there's this this specific special relationship that Jews have with food, that the Jewish community has with food and with our food. Um, that's very visceral and very 
I think, well understood throughout the community. Um, it's something that I think most Jews can agree upon. There are many things we cannot agree upon, but food is love and food being an important part of our culture, I think we can agree on that. And that is all true. And yet, we have this, and I, and I don't know if it's, if it's simply, simply, if it's exclusively an American Jewish experience because of the assimilation that is involved in American Jewry. But something that I have observed in my communities, in, in other Jewish communities around me, and in the work that I do is that there is an intense amount of diet culture, diet mentality, which for those of you who may not know, um, diet culture is a system of beliefs wherein we reinforce the idea that thinness is equated to health and that health is something we achieve by restricting our intake. Um, it also, feel free to add to this, Laura, because it's like a very... And increasing definition. our activity. Yes, um, and increasing our activity. Typically right, that, as a joint effort. Absolutely. And health looks a certain way, that health is even achievable for all people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of that, you know, veers into healthism as well. But diet culture as a concept, as a, as a belief system, value system, whatever you want to call it, is very, very present in the Jewish community. And I should say, like Rachel said when she was on here, the things that are present in the Jewish community are the things that are present in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So the world is affected by diet culture. And so the Jewish community is affected by diet culture. And again, I think there is this very specific experience of, you know, I think it's also important for me to say here that the history of weight stigma, fat phobia in particular, is deeply tied to the history of anti-Black racism. Mm-hmm. And so the I highly recommend um, Sabrina Strings' book, Fearing the Black Body, on that mm-hmm. topic in particular. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not in any way, shape or form going to do her book justice with what I'm about to say. But the, the long and short of it is basically in order to continue uh, maintaining a sense of superiority and power and supremacy, uh, during the times in which uh, being black and or brown was less, uh, what's the word, legally uh, not allowed, outlawed, um, or criminalized, uh, in order to maintain that supremacy, white folks in particular looked for different ways to affirm for themselves, really, because who is this all for but for themselves, mm-hmm. to affirm for themselves why they were better. Right. What about them made them, you know, supreme? And one of the ways they did that was through associating a larger body size, a more robust body size, a curvier body type with black people, black women, brown people. Uh, And so fatness culturally became entrenched with blackness. Mm -hmm. And so when we engage with diet culture, we are not only engaging with something that just is not uh, compatible with our biology, but we're actually engaging in something that's at its core, very racist, anti-black racist in, in, you know, specifically. Um, And so as Jews who have a complicated relationship with whiteness, especially in America, Mm -hmm. um, in order to, this is somewhat of a theory, somewhat of a, you know, supported hypothesis, but, in order to get as close as they could to the 
privileges and allowances that whiteness gives us in society, like, you know, access to home loans, um, access to schools, all these different things, Mm -hmm. right? You know, Jews come in every skin color, right? And there are also some Jews who have a proximity to whiteness visually in terms of like their melanin, right? Their, their skin Mm -hmm. color. So you have that um, sort of visual piece of race, the skin color piece of race that, that is uh, put to the side, so to speak, with Jews who have that experience, right? And so mm-hmm. it's almost like they are closer to whiteness, right? A white supremacist Nazi would never say that a light-skinned Jew is white, but regardless of that, if you live in the United States, anti-Black racism is, is the larger sort of container. I'm seeing you want to say something. Right. It comes back to this idea of like conditional white privilege for Jews, um, which is essentially the understanding that um, many Jews in particular, most Jews in America um, benefit from this proximity to whiteness as it pertains to encounters with the police, um, as it pertains to professional opportunities, um, because we exist in system. Right, exactly. Um, the justice system as a whole, which I always struggle with the term justice for that particular system, uh, but um, I, um, you know, can recognize that as someone who has that proximity to whiteness, um, you know, I have benefited from that proximity to whiteness. I exist in a systemically racist structure and society, um, which means that I have benefited from white supremacy by virtue of my proximity to whiteness. Um, So all of that to say, though, what to Ash's point, you know, in the insurrection on January 6th, um, the people storming the United States Capitol um, wanted you or I, Ash, who benefit from that proximity to whiteness in other situations, dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and that proximity to whiteness didn't matter one bit. So, um, it and just, also, you know, arguably, they don't agree with it, right? Like, you right, and I exactly. understand that we have a proximity to whiteness in this structure of anti black racism, right? Which, again, is mm-hmm. really the bedrock of American, of the United States culture. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't even say American because America is a large continent. Right. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, United States culture is and continues to be built upon anti-Black racism, right? To a white supremacist, though, like like the ones at the Capitol with the, you know, six million wasn't enough fucking uh, sweatshirt. Right. Yeah. They don't, we're not white to them. We we are a, a subhuman race, right? We are but a different race to, like, to them. Right. Hitler's theory of exactly. race. Right. right. So all that to be being said... The reason why this matters is because when the Jewish community tried to ingratiate themselves in American culture, right? They, of course, wanted privileges because don't we all? I mean, it should it should be said that you know, along with the you know, no blacks on the beach or you know, whoever those signs were, it was no blacks, no Jews, no dogs. You know, mm-hmm. like we were included in that to some degree, um, but that changed over time, right? And part of the ways I think that the Jewish community tried subconsciously, I I can't say, but tried to get closer to that whiteness, to that privilege, right? Is through thinness. Because again, thinness is associated with whiteness. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. if, if fatness is associated with blackness, then thinness is associated with whiteness. Right. Right. And for many folks, it won't be the first time they've heard um, the phrase like thin white European beauty ideal, like right. thin white European beauty standard. And I think that is extremely relevant to everything that you're saying is that it's mm-hmm. based in a European standard of beauty, which has been held by these same systems to equate not black, right. um, far from black, close to white is mm-hmm. the um, implication. And we've heard that term because it has been historically ingrained in us and upheld as the standard to strive for. Right. And in particular, you know, we need European white beauty standards, right? And you will, I mean, this is like a tangent again. I'm sorry, my brain is all over the place. But, um, you know, I'm thinking. It's all relevant. It is. But I'm thinking of, you know, people who are like, you know, Jews or or white Europeans. And it's like. (laughs) Right. How long? Well, it's so interesting because it's like, how long did we as a people spend, you know, trying to look like white Europeans, trying to be like white Europeans? It's like. Well, I think at one point or another, most of us who are vocal online have been told to like come, go back to Poland, and it's like <laughs> not Polish, um, and it's and you know, so it's um, and that's really where it comes from, um, yeah. and it you know has certainly there is a piece of that um, without getting you know too into it. There is a piece of that that isn't voluntary, and I want to mm-hmm. name that too. That like mm-hmm. part of Jewish proximity to whiteness was forced upon um, Jews, including through trigger warning, um, including through sexual violence. Yes. Um, And that is a piece of the story. And we're talking about the other piece of the story in which we, um, as a people, have, you know, upheld, um, or rather some communities, because I think we also need to get into, but we're, I think, here mostly speaking about the Ashkenazi Jewish experience Mm. in this moment um, in thinking about that proximity to whiteness and the ways in which um, weight was a piece of striving for that. Right. Yes. Thank you for succinctly saying what I've been rambling on about for the last 20 minutes. I appreciate (laughs) 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 But yes, that it is that. And, you know, I think what you said is so important, you know, the aspect of people or the, the community not necessarily making a choice to have a proximity to whiteness because of our features, but because of sexual violence, right? But also, even those who, and like I said before, it was like, is it subconscious? Is it not? Those who do choose in quotes, because again, whether that's an right. active choice, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a trauma response. It's, mm-hmm. I want to be safe, right? And when you're closer to whiteness, in theory, in our world, being closer to whiteness and having white privilege or, or benefiting from white privilege or proximity to whiteness is safety, right? It's financial safety. It's, um, you know, what I'm thinking of as economic safety, social safety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so on the one hand, I can't blame people you know, post-Holocaust, for example, for just wanting to fucking disappear into, you know, the the ether, you know, the, the vastness of of the U.S. And, 
and just normal, regular people who no one cared about, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes at a cost. Yes. We, as American Jews, I will say for myself at least, are have been and are so disconnected from our Jewish culture. Like what it, even though in so many ways, I think you and I would say that we're very culturally Jewish. Mm-hmm. And and I would have said that of myself 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right? Even before I did all the work that I've done in the last 15 mm-hmm. or so years. But even that is still so far removed from what our culture used to be, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It makes sense for sure. Um, I want to, I think, pick out and uplift mm. some pieces of this part of our conversation um, in particular, going off of that thread about proximity to whiteness um, mm-hmm. and also uplifting what I said about um, us both speaking in this part of the conversation about the you know, Ashkenazi Jewish experience, I think that it's um, important that we discuss the role of um, the roles of colorism Featureism and racism um, as it pertains to white stigma in the Jewish community and non-Ashkenazi communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as the resident non-totally Ashkenazi <laughs> person, although I know you recently decided, we're exploring it we're exploring we're, it yes there's a, there's exploration <laughs> but, but you you know yeah i'd rather you speak about your lived experience right so i'm ashkenazi and sephardic um the dad's side of my family the dad my dad's side of the family uh <laughs> is from uh they were expelled to aleppo syria but i but originally mm-hmm. i guess they were expelled from from the Spanish inquisition i i don't know the details but that is the general story i've heard my, my during my life uh, mm-hmm. And I did a combination of, of um, traditions, for example. Um, I can never remember which one does what, but I think Ashki's name for the dead and Sephardic name for the living. Uh, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. my first name is for someone who was already passed, was my grandmother's mother. And my middle name was for my living grandmother at the time. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there, there were jokes about the first time my mom went to my dad's families for, for Pesach, they had rice on the table and she was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So for those who don't know, it's very common in Spartac communities to eat rice during Passover, but, uh, for Ashkenazi communities, that's like a big no, no. Um, it's not, uh, kosher for Passover to eat rice Mm -hmm. in Ashkenazi communities, but in Spartac communities, communities, it is, um, Mm -hmm. So the reason why this is important and has been important for my personal experience is because um, I very much look more like the Sephardic side of my family. Uh, My younger sister looks much more like the Ashkenazi side of my family. And that is also somewhat mimicked in body size. Um, You know, I'm larger. She tends to be uh, more gangly. Um, And growing up, you know, there was a lot of comparisons made or, or yeah, comparisons between the Sephardic side of my family and the Ashkenazi side of my family. Uh, some of those, you know, statements came from within my own sort of nuclear family. Some of it was, you know, in the larger uh, interpersonal conflicts in my family. But, you know, basically the, the Sephardic side of my family 
were and are darker and bigger you know that 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 was sort of the um the visual representation and the stereotypes attached to that were very related to like barbarism and like orientalism mm-hmm. um not that i knew that's what it was when i was experiencing it but like in hindsight right. i can name it as that um and you know i i also i guess i guess you could say i look more stereotypically jewish as well like my nose and um you know like an olive skin tone um so it's it's i look more jewish and i also look more non-white than perhaps my sister does right and perhaps the ashkenazi side of my family does um and there is a lot of shit in that that was hard um and felt crappy for lack of a better term um you know and, and i should say very plainly like i am i am white i have light skin like i i am my larger body size i felt of course this isn't necessarily factual it's a, a felt thing i felt that my larger body size was connected to uh the more sephardic stereotypes you know like we used to make mm-hmm. jokes about my dad's the youngest out of 14 and we <laughs> We used to make jokes, like, you know, it's the tribe. And, like, obviously Jews are a tribe. Like, talk about Jews as a tribe, right? But, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, like, this, again, it's that barbarous, like, orientalist, like, it's racist. Right. And, again, I'm not even really brown, but I was on the receiving end of, I guess what you could say is racism, because I was less white than somebody else. Again, not brown, but I was less white than somebody else in right. various ways because of my body size, my skin tone, my, you know, my features, some of the ways that like my, my face is looks. Um, so yeah, that, that was a little big long babble of, of my personal experience of it. I don't know if that's helpful at all, but. <laughs> I mean, it's not babble. I think you're speaking into, um, you know, you're speaking your truth and it is rooted in um, these larger topics that we are discussing um, in this moment. And I think it is, you know, extremely important to, you know, acknowledge that it is that proximity to whiteness or lack of proximity to whiteness. Um, that ultimately can can truly dictate your lived experience and that that takes so many different forms, including but not limited to, you know, being rooted in white stigma. Um, and, you know, for me, my experiences with white stigma were, I think, less rooted in, um, in colorism, in featureism and in racism and more in the topics that we were discussing with Rachel um, in part one, um, I think there's so much that so many of the people, including my family, you know, don't even know that they're upholding these larger concepts of like thinness and whiteness as safety and assimilation. I truly don't, think that if I presented that idea to either of my parents tomorrow, they would have a single clue what I was talking about. And that's not 
to disparage my parents in any way, shape or form. No. It's to say, you know, I'm having these conversations regularly um, and they're directly relevant to my life and um, they aren't there. They're not there yet. So, you know, I think about, um, I know we mentioned earlier in this episode that Pesach is coming up and it's a holiday with a, a lot of stuff on the table, a lot of stuff that holds a lot of meaning and will hold even more meaning for many this year, given um, current Jewish events and the significance of Pesach as like an exodus from persecution and violence and ultimately slavery. Um, but I, you know, I'm just thinking about how my experience around a holiday and around a holiday table has just been so shaped by my experience as a Jew in a larger body and how it's changed as my body size has changed. Um, and when I was or wasn't able to experience holidays for what they were and um, at what points in my life, at what points in my eating disorder recovery, was I even able to engage with the symbolism of Jewish foods? Um, you know, I'm, I think about all of these things leading into any holiday, but in particular Pesach, I think um, in part because of symbolism and stories behind the food, um, but also I think in part of just what the overall holiday represents, because I really do see um, weight stigma and, you know, the systemic oppression that comes with feeding into diet culture, um, the oppression of fat people as a type of oppression that requires liberation. Um, and I know that your work is deeply rooted in um fat and body liberation. And I, um, just, I just wanted to name that too, is that like, you know, coming, we're, we're coming at this massive topic that again, this is part two, and we're still not going to get to no, everything, but I still feel um, like I, I have not explained myself well enough. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, it's not even about, I think, well or not well. I think it's just that we need to make our peace with this conversation being bigger than 30 to 45 minute episodes <laughs> and maybe yeah. bigger than many 30 to yeah. 45 minute episodes. But I guess what I'm really trying to say, you know, is that as someone who's had that European white standard of beauty pushed on me my entire life and for my entire life, including in this moment, as I am in a smaller body than I have ever been in my adult life up to this point, it's still not enough. Um, well, and that was always my realization with my eating disorder. I think when I really like started to connect these things, it was like, I'm never going to be that. Again, you right. and I look look different, right? But but you're never right. going to be that. I'm right? never going to be that. Like, I'm never going to be the beauty standard because I'm a fucking Jew and I look like a Jew. <laughs> like That's again, like correct. no Jews can look like anybody. Anyone can be a Jew, right. and we all know what we mean when we say you know what people think a Jew looks like and what many people right. in our community do look like. Right. That is 
that is there. And there are, you know, there are so many other pieces that go into this too, like that ultimately feed more into colorism as well, but like all feed into this proximity to whiteness. Um, Like, I mean, I have, in case someone listening does not follow my Instagram and therefore has no Mm -hmm. idea what I look like, um, you know, I do have darker features. I have, you know, dark hair, dark eyes, um, prevalent eyebrows, body hair, et cetera. Um, And, you know, that is a part and a more olive um, complexion as well. Um, And I, you know, in those ways, I look Jewish and I'm white passing every minute of every day. Um, And it's, you know, I benefit from that. And I think it makes it like all the more easy to push this, um, what's ultimately like a racist standard of beauty um, Mm -hmm. onto me and expect me to uphold it. Um, Well, right. Because the closer, the quote unquote, closer you are, the more pressure, the more it's like, why don't you look like to get there? Right. Right. Why don't, why aren't you all the way there? And it's like, well, I'm truly never going to be for a million different reasons. I'm never going to be that are rooted in, you know, my, anti-diet approach to life and also not at all like and are just mm-hmm. rooted in the physical reality colors features and the way my body exists in this world um you know i could do or not do a million different things and i would still never be that so it's mm-hmm. just you know knowing that and naming that i think has given me a lot of power in standing in like my Jewishness in particular, um, in a way that I fully didn't know before that it was necessary, that it was something I could own, that Mm -hmm. it um, even played a role. Like these conversations might be new to our listeners, like the topics we're talking about, they're new to me too. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly Mm -hmm. newer than most of the other things we have mm-hmm. talked about that it it took me so long to even broach this conversation. It really didn't even happen until I came onto a larger social media community through my Instagram page and like started connecting with other people who had already sort of done this personal mm. work. So like, I, I guess I just want to name if anyone's yeah. listening, like, what the hell are they talking about? Or like, <laughs> I, which may happen because sure. we have bounced, you know, we have bounced around a lot this episode in a way that is frankly necessary because we can't talk about weight stigma in the Jewish community without talking about weight stigma as a whole and its roots mm-hmm. in racism. And it's, mm-hmm. and you know, just what that proximity to blackness or to whiteness means and right. how it plays out in and colorism Ashkenazi in the community. Yes, colorism within the community, in Ashkenazi communities in particular. But Mm -hmm. what does this mean for Sephardic communities, for Mizrahi? And like, what does it mean? And it may have sounded frantic, but it (laughs) ultimately is all deeply connected and intertwined in a way that I think even still, even after a second episode dedicated to this topic, I think we're still only scratching the surface and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad we dove deeper today. Yeah. Um, and I think that the breadth of this topic is just it's too massive. It's massive. 
So I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not judging us for mm. not being able to get to the root of something that will ultimately um, not be a digestible podcast topic for 45 minutes because it isn't. It's rooted it isn't. in it's rooted in centuries of, you know, what American racism is and has come to be right. and millennia of, mm -hmm. you know, Jewish history and culture. So it's... Right. How could we ever <laughs> condense it into even if we did five more episodes, you know, and maybe we will, but, yeah. you know, maybe we will dive deeper on this topic, but how could we ever truly encompass it is, I guess, um, what I'm leaving us space to not mm. be able to do, <laughs> but I'm glad regardless that we dove deeper today. Yeah. Well, thank you for naming all of that. I think it makes me feel better because I definitely feel like I bounced around a lot, although I did warn you all, so. <laughs> um, but I also think, you know, that last piece that you said is, is really important, or maybe it was the first piece, I'm not sure, but, um, about that this work is new to you. It's new to me. Like, yes, I, I, I've been doing this work clinically for maybe the last two or three years, maybe four, if we're being generous, but A, that's still new. And B, like, I started practicing it, practicing it at the same time as I was realizing it for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, I, every time I talk to somebody about this, you know, we were talking our, to our friend Allie about this. Actually, you weren't there for that conversation, but I, I was talking to Allie about this and she was like, oh my God, you just explained my whole life. And like, I've had many people who I've sort of talked to about this whole like body size, weight stigma in the community and its connection to racism and, you know, mm -hmm. its connections to assimilation and its connection to, um, you know, Jewish culture and how it's changed over time. Like people are like, holy fucking shit. My mind is blown. You just told me something I didn't even know I didn't know. And now I need to figure it out. Like it's so if, if right. that sparked for you. Like that's all I care about. <laughs> Yeah. And even if it's not that massive epiphany moment, you know, if we've done anything today is hopefully, you know, spark a desire to um, either reflect for yourself um, or reflect within your community, just whatever that means for you. Um, just a desire to think more on this was ultimately the aim of today's episode. That and validation, as always. As always. <laughs> All right, Laura. Shall I take us out? Take us out. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on Convention on the Couch, where we are actually on the couch today. As a reminder, <laughs> <laughs> we use this space to talk about difficult subjects, and so I very much recommend that you take care of yourself uh, and definitely take some deep breaths. Yeah. Like I said, um, validation hopefully was achieved for some of you listening to this um and just a desire to learn more and next week hopefully as long as we don't have a last minute reschedule we will be talking with ben freeman about jewish intergenerational trauma we're very much looking forward to that yes we have had some uh kind of back and forth various scheduling needs but we do believe that this time this episode is happening we know many of you have been waited waiting excitedly for it so come fetch with us about that on thursday april 7th live at seven o'clock p.m eastern time 
Um, as and always, this episode will be posted on the call-in app on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts later this evening. And you can keep up with me and with Ash on social media. My handle is at the Healing Happy Cook, and you can find Ash at at Bad Ash Therapy. All information will be provided in the comment section of this episode. And thank you, Laura, for doing that because I lost my place on the script. And a big <laughs> thank you <laughs> to January Sunshine for all the music that we play. And the biggest of thank yous for those of you who listen today. Good night, everyone. Have a great night.